Make First Trade your first choice when it comes to investing. I've been using First Trade for years, and I love the fact that you free yourself from commissions with zero dollar online trades, and there's no hidden fees. You get a full suite of products. You can trade stocks, ETFs, options, fixed income, and over 11,000 mutual funds. And here's the part I like best: I can trade on the go, seize opportunity no matter where you are with First Trade's Android and iPhone mobile apps. So keep those commissions in your wallet and maximize your gains by making First Trade your first choice for investing. Make First Trade your first choice. Sign up at krobcollection.com. First Trade member Fenra Sipic. To Sunday Digest, an award-winning public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. Get ready for a half hour of interesting conversation with veteran Cleveland broadcaster Ken Robinson. And now here's Ken and Sunday Digest. And glad to have you along on today's edition. Good morning to you. Today we're going to focus on your money. We're going to hear from Dave Kansas of TheStreet.com about investing in the internet age. Also, the cost of energy. We'll find out how it's affecting the lives of low-income Ohioans. But first, handling those bills. How do you keep from drowning in a sea of debt? One thing you can do is call the Cleveland Consumer Credit Counseling Service. And spokesman Nancy Beavers joins us now. Nancy, tell us about the Cleveland Consumer Credit Counseling Service. Well, we're a nonprofit community service, and we help people avoid the event of going bankrupt by putting together repayment plans for them. There is no cost to the consumer. The repayment plan may take as long as three years, possibly. But what happens is that people receive a sense of pride in paying off their bills, and they don't suffer with the ten-year mark on their credit record, which bankruptcy does incur. Now, it's a free service. It is free. Yes, it is. Creditors support us by contributing money when we put together repayment programs to get them their money back. So they hope that you'll be, you'll be able to get their money back for them yes, and, they and they fund the service. Yes, and everybody benefits. Yes, everyone does. Uh huh. So uh, when should a person consider going to consumer credit counseling? Well, the first sign of trouble, and there are signs that are clear if you're watching. Uh, maybe the overall and overpowering sign is the fact that you don't feel as though you're in control, don't know how much you owe, are afraid to open that mailbox. But some of the more hard signs are the fact that you might be bouncing checks, or getting calls from creditors, or getting calls from creditors at work, or even getting letters from creditors.、Um, knowing that you're juggling, perhaps you can only pay one bill one month, and you think maybe they won't notice if you don't pay another bill that month.、Um, maybe not even knowing what the total outstanding debt is, just paying those minimum amounts due and not facing up to reality. That's a problem many people face with uh, the. Uh The、uh, flood of credit cards out there—they、mm-hmm. uh, find themselves signing up for, you know, a card here, a card there. They find out that、uh, they're using those cards even when they they thought they wouldn't, and they end up with a lot of different credit card bills.、Oh, yeah, and they're struggling to make those minimum monthly payments.、Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you you never pay it off. Yeah. And the more cards you have, of course, your personal accounting becomes more complicated.、Uh, to say nothing of just postage stamps and writing checks each month, so it can easily get out of hand or out of、uh, control. Now, how can you help someone who is having trouble paying their credit card bill and they're struggling to make that monthly minimum payment? How can you help them come up with 
more money for that payment than, than they can themselves? Sure, and that's a, a real good question. The thing is, we take an overview of all of this. There's so many dynamics at play when we're putting together a program for someone. First of all, our counselors are skilled, experienced, and creative in their counseling. So they're, they're looking for things that the person might not have thought of themselves. Maybe the person is having something withheld from their paycheck that this isn't a good time to do that with uh, because they've got mounting debt. So we look at that. We look at if uh, the fact, or rather, whether they've maxed out what they can be making, whether um, other members of the household are contributing. Sometimes we, we make suggestions. We, we don't make rules. Uh, we just want to see if we can flesh that out any further. And we look at their household budget and see if there's any ways they can save, whether they're overestimating, underestimating, whether it's on the money, if you will or not. And then we look at that total debt. And what we're doing really is gaining or regaining control, or they're regaining control with our help to be able to put things in perspective and address them. It's, it's not unlike uh, being on a diet. Once you start measuring and looking and being very aware of everything, you can make the, you, you can reach your goal. So that's what we're putting together. And then some creditors will kindly make some concessions either on finance charges or late fees, and that helps tremendously to, to bring down the burden of uh, debt. Now, I should be clear to say not all creditors do that, but some do, and that helps too. So we, we really take the whole situation in hand and uh, use our expertise in counseling. You mentioned it's like being on a diet sometimes. Sometimes yeah. being on a diet is kind of painful. <laughs> have, you, <laughs> have you ever had it, to tell uh, consumers? It can be. <laughs> it can be, but don't forget, someone who's gone on a diet, you want to talk to someone who's lost weight, how, see how happy they are. So it's really a matter of achieving goals. And um, every day we're, you know, we feel good about what we do because we see people who really are happy to have gone through the program. It's a delight to talk to someone who has. They are so relieved. Um, the burden has been lifted. They have the pride of knowing that they really executed it just with our help, and they're not carrying the, the de burden of debt any longer, and they're able to reestablish credit. Well, do you ever have to tell anybody, hey, look, uh, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to live on bread and water for a while until these <laughs> Well, you know, honestly, we don't do that. Um, that's, that's not what we're here for. We want it to be manageable. We know that it won't last. Uh, back again to that diet, you tell somebody that they can't eat at all, and this isn't going to happen. So the same thing with our programs. We, we come up with a logical amount. We're addressing their basic living expenses. We're not there to starve anybody. And if we can't help them, we'll let them know that perhaps there's another route, um, but it can't be us. But we won't starve anybody, nor would anyone want to do that. Um, by the same token, we see people sometimes who, because they were a little bit disorganized, perhaps didn't realize the money was really there if they just got organized. So we help them to do that, to be able to pay their bills out themselves. We don't step in if it's not necessary. Are credit card problems the, the, the most prevalent uh problem you, you deal with at Consumer Credit Counseling? Well, they are, but sometimes they're just the symptom. Um, the thing is, there's so many things contributing to financial downfall. Uh, take, for example, divorce, hospital bills, loss of job, cutbacks in job, and if you couple that with a little bit of loose spending, and that all comes down at the same time, that's when people get into trouble. It's usually a combination of things, not just carelessness. We often hear about the high cost of health care and about the number of people who don't have health insurance. Do you ever have to deal with folks who are hit with 
high catastrophic uh, medical bills and, and can't really pay them back? Indeed we do. Sometimes it is not credit card debt at all. It is something catastrophic like that. And we do. We work with them and are able to put this in perspective and work out a plan so that they can see the light again. How successful are you at that? Uh, sometimes these bills run like you know $100,000, $50,000, and let's say for an elderly person on a fixed income, how do you get the hospital or the, 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 uh, the creditor to, to work with that person who may be on a limited budget? Well, uh, we deal within the realm of reality, of course. Um, if it's going to take too long or be too tough a road of hoe, there, there may be nothing we can do, and they may have to seek funding or an alternative um, solution other than us. Now, what about those folks who aren't in credit trouble right now? They're sailing along just fine. Everything's just wonderful. Any advice to them on how to prevent a credit problem before it starts? Well, simply uh, doing the math and being somewhat of your own accountant, uh, knowing what's coming in and, and being aware of what's going out and uh, putting, you know, pulling back on the reins when too much is going out and concentrating on a bigger debt that, if unwatched, will only get bigger and possibly cause somewhat a problem. So, you know, some sort of budgeting. It doesn't have to be by the book. Some sort of basic what goes you know you can't spend more than you've got coming in that type of philosophy all right sounds good well, thank you nancy devers of the cleveland consumer credit counseling service late last night i had a crazy dream i met a man who invented a money machine said, I know things are tight and times are tough, but he'd give me the machine if I give you up. I just looked him in the eye and I said, no thanks, honey, your love's better than money in the bank. Honey, your love's better than money in the bank. You know, one way you can prevent credit problems is by spending less and saving more. Carol Keith is author of the book, How to Get What You Want in Life with the Money You Already Have. Now, Carol, you believe one of the best ways to get a handle on your bills is by paying the minimum each month? Because what have we always been told, Ken? The experts always say pay as much as you can. Exactly. And I tried that. Uh, for 10 years, the visa bill would come in. Let's say it's $800. I would say, I hate this bill. I hate this <laughs> bill. I want to get rid of this bill. And so I would write a check for $100. Well, now there's four of us living on one teacher's income at that point. And uh, I just sent $100 out that bought nothing for the month for us to live on. No toothpaste, no socks for the kids, no groceries. And so what would happen by the middle of the month? We would be out of money, and I would have, have to, to use the card. Use the card again. Did I put money in savings? Heck no. And besides, <laughs> savings is such a boring thing. So we don't put money in savings. We put money towards an emergency account towards a car account, whatever it is. What absolutely works 100% of the time, once our mind will give in to this radical idea, and that is to pay the minimum. So then my $800 visa bill would come in, and instead of trying to get rid of it, which never worked, because after 10 years of trying to get rid of it, it was up to $5,000 instead of 800, that didn't work, mm -hmm. I would pay the minimum. So I would write a check for $25. The company was happy, I paid the minimum that they asked for, and suddenly I had 75 more dollars in my pocket. But what about the, uh, the minimum? 
uh, paying the minimum, the, the balance doesn't change that much and you're being eaten up by uh, interest rates. That's what it seems like. First of all, if anyone does still have a 13, 15, or 18 percent interest rate, switch immediately. Every day in my mailbox, I get an envelope from some company that says, you know, our visa is 6.9 percent. Mm -hmm. Switch over instantly. And what we forget, again, is if I'm just paying the minimum, number one, I'm not going to want to use the card. My energy na is now into saving money for myself, so I won't ever have to use the card again. Mm -hmm. Once we get plugged into life, we don't want to live that way. It's a very depressing way. It's like always relying on someone else. Yeah. We want to rely on ourselves. Are there any other uh, radical ideas that uh, go against conventional thought as far as saving? Well, one of the radical ones is to have so many different accounts. And people are probably have heard me say that, but they're thinking, oh, she doesn't really mean that. I really do. And banks are in business to make money. Mm -hmm. So they are going to want for me to have three or four or five or six accounts there. Credit unions are in business to help their members. So everybody wants our money. And it's just like in the kitchen how almost all of us have our forks, knives, and spoons divided. <laughs> and it's not complicated, is it? But our mind says, oh, if I had six accounts, oh, I'd be so confused. It's not confusing. You reach for the spoon, you get a spoon. In your book, you talk about having uh, separate uh, savings goals for husbands and wives. Yeah, That's something we usually don't think of. We think of, well, when you're husband and wife, you work together toward one goal. Right. And that's okay, too, to have, let's say you have a real special place. A, a couple has a wonderful vacation place, maybe that was their honeymoon. That's great. But it's extremely important that if I want a red truck <laughs> and my spouse wants, um, you know, to take Spanish lessons or whatever, mm -hmm. that we each honor our goals. Rather than put $10 towards my goal or $10 towards his or her goal, the important thing would be that we each, if we could only afford that much, that we each get $5. Otherwise, we all know the horrible feeling called resentment, mm -hmm. and we never get anywhere. The, the, we're making money fun and exciting. So within the relationship, it must be fun and exciting and empowering also. All right. Thank you very much, Carol. Carol Keefe, author of How to Get What You Want in Life with the Money You Already Have. Up next, investing your money in the age of high tech. From WGAR, this is Sunday Digest with Ken Robinson. Yes, let's talk about putting your money to work for you. Dave Kansas is another author. He joins us on the phone now. He's author of The Street.com Guide to Smart Investing in the Internet Era. Dave Kansas is editor-in-chief of TheStreet.com, a financial news website. He's also written articles for The Wall Street Journal, The New Republic, and The Industry Standard. Dave, technology and the Internet are the waves of the future, but tech stocks are so volatile, they go up, they go down. Is it good to have many tech stocks in your portfolio? Well, I think you want to have a diverse portfolio, and it doesn't hurt to take some of your portfolio and invest it in tech stocks. If you have a little bit longer time horizon, say three to five years, now is the time to look at some of the big names that have come back to us in terms of valuation, like a Microsoft or uh, even an Intel. Okay. Now, people can uh, buy and trade stocks online at the uh, in the blink of an eye. Do you think people are are getting too, maybe too active in, in trading and uh, bailing in and bailing out of stocks and, and not going for the long term? Oh, I think uh, a lot of the people who uh, bailed in and bailed out real quickly probably suffered quite a bit, and I think you're seeing a return to a more disciplined strategy now that the market has become so rocky. And I think uh, to be successful trading online or offline, you need to take a, a little bit more disciplined point of view right now uh, with the market being so difficult as it is. 
how do you stay disciplined? It's, it's easy to tell folks to uh, buy low and sell high, but it's something <laughs> nobody seems to be able to do. Well, it is hard to, to really hang in there, buy low and sell high, uh, as you say. Uh, I think that what you want to be thinking about right now with everything so turbulent is you want to look for really good names uh, that you think will do well over uh, an extended period of time. Now, this is the Internet era, and uh, the stock market was basically driven by the Internet, uh, seeing uh, an Internet revolution. But now it looks like a lot of those dot-com companies that people uh, thought so highly of aren't doing so well, and some of them are going to fade away, kind of like the auto industry when it started up uh, 100 years ago. What's the watchword for investors? Well, I think the uh, example of the auto industry uh, early in the century where there were so many automakers and then it dwindled to a select few is, is a great one. There are going to be a few winners, and uh, investors need to be cautious in here because there are a lot of companies out there that are probably still going to wither away and go away. And you might be uh, better off uh, focusing on companies that are taking advantage of the Internet as an ancillary piece of their business, you know, companies like GE. Uh, have done a great job of taking the Internet and making it a very productive element of what they do as an overall business. And I think that's where the Internet is migrating to, towards. It's migrating to become a, an important piece of a company's business rather than just a business in and of itself. So just because there's trouble in the tech sector uh, once in a while is no reason to, to give up on tech stocks. No, not over the long term. If you really think about it, I mean, technology is going to remain very, very important, not just in the U.S., but overseas. People need to get wired. People need to get uh, uh, the kind of computing power that will make them effective players in a global economy, and that's not going to change. We are seeing a slowdown in that right now, but if you take a 10-year or a 5-year or even a 3-year time frame, the technology sector is going to remain a very, very important driver of not only the U.S. economy, but the global economy. Do we need a different mindset as investors in the Internet uh, high-tech uh, age that we're in? Uh, I mean, there's financial information everywhere. You turn on the TV, there's financial news channels all over the place. There's new publications coming out. We're hit with a lot of information. We have a lot of power as individual investors. Do we need a different mindset than we did uh, 50 years ago? Well, I think, I don't know if you need a different mindset than you had 50 years ago, but, but you, what you need to, to realize is there is a great amount of information out there. And if you want to do it on your own, uh, you certainly can. You know, 50 years ago, you did not have the access to information that you have now. Uh, that doesn't make it a whole lot easier. It takes time. It takes discipline. And you have to be willing to put in that time if you want to take advantage of all those resources out there. I think one of the great mistakes of the last couple of years is that a lot of people felt, oh, I just put my money in the market and it goes straight up. And, and, and that worked for a little while, but it's not working now. And historically, uh, it doesn't work all the time. You need to really bear down and do some research and try to set up an investment strategy and then stick to it over a long period of time. Now, how do you do that research? Everybody wants to get in on the ground floor of that big winner, and predicting that big winner is <laughs> not very easy. How do you go about conducting your research? Well, there are a lot of places to go look for information. The uh, SEC has a ton of information that's online. Sites like thestreet.com or Yahoo Personal Finance uh, provide uh, specific investment ideas or themes that you can research and look into. I think that in terms of looking for that next big winner, diversification is key. There are a lot of great companies out there. You don't need to take all your money and put it in something that might be the next big winner. Why not? take your money, invest it in good companies that are going to be around for a long time, and then take a sliver of that maybe and look for something that is young and may become something big over the long term. But you don't want to put all your eggs in that one basket. That's a very dangerous thing. What's the word at thestreet.com about the, uh, the future of the economy? 
this fantastic ride we've been on can't last forever. Is it going to end uh, this year? Well, I think right now we're in a very, very tough time in the economy. Some, a few economists think we're already in the beginnings of a recession here. You have to remember the Fed's already hard at work trying to lower interest rates to try to boost the economy. We've got talk in Washington potentially of tax cuts. That might also give a boost to the economy. I think we could be in for a very slow growth year this year in the economy, but there are a lot of tools uh, in the hands of both the Fed and in Washington in terms of fiscal policy to help drive this economy forward after a little bit of a slowdown in here. Now, we still have some troubling areas. Uh, a lot of foreign imports continue to flood uh, the United States. Uh, the domestic steel industry is, 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 is crumbling, basically, especially in this area. Uh, the federal debt is still high. Uh, where are the signs of uh, optimism? Well, I think the signs of optimism are that a lot of the economy remains pretty strong. You're right that the steel industry, uh, also the auto industry, is struggling right now. We're, we're going through the classic recessionary-type elements of a slowdown where some of the bigger heavy industry really does struggle. And I think it really behooves Washington to, uh, you know, to work hard to uh, cut taxes to, to make the environment more productive for uh, individuals, uh, in both the stock market and the economy. And I, and I think that the Federal Reserve needs to be a little more aggressive on the interest rates because right now we have a very tough environment uh, in terms of uh, one other thing that, that we need to keep an eye on is oil prices. Well, in the business sector, is there a consensus that uh, the days of uh, cheap energy are gone? Well, I think that there's a consensus that cheap energy is uh, going to be an issue for the next uh, 6 to 12 months. Uh, I was uh, reading recently that there's a record number of rigs being uh, established and built uh, to, to get extract natural gas and oil. It's going to take some time for that to come online. I think that the higher prices are going to drive greater exploration, and I think we're not going to see the benefit of that probably till the beginning of next year. As investors, does that mean it's time for us to take a defensive strategy, maybe uh, buy more income-producing stocks, look into bonds, that kind of thing? I think if you're you know, looking for the next 12 months, what would be doing the best for you in the next 12 months, I think a defensive posture probably is correct. I think uh, if you're looking in the next five years, now is the time to start looking at uh, some of the companies that have been really beaten down in here, the tech stocks uh, and some of the cyclical stocks that will benefit as the economy comes back out of this slump we're in right now. But like I said, the next 12 months, defensive posture, bonds, income-producing stocks, that's probably the best place to be. A lot of people may face layoffs because of the uh, downturn in the economy. What should they do about their 401k? Should they restructure them? Uh, what should they do about their investments if they're worried about losing their jobs? I think that what you really need to, to focus on in a 401k situation is what is your time frame? If you're looking at a very long time frame, 20 years, say, until you need to get to that 401k, you want to remain in a pretty aggressive stance. If you're getting closer to where you need that 401k money, you want to start to move more defensively. Maybe look at bonds as a way to preserve some of the capital you've built up over the last several years. It's going to be a challenge. That's exactly right. <laughs> Dave, really appreciate the interview. Thanks very much. Dave Kansas, editor-in-chief of TheStreet.com, a financial news website, and he's author of the brand-new book, TheStreet.com Guide to Smart Investing in the Internet Era. Sunday Digest. Here's Ken Robinson on WGAR. Dave and I briefly touched on the topic of high energy prices in that last interview. Well, the cost of energy is really starting to affect low-income Ohioans. Joining us now is Joe Lucas of Americans for Balanced Energy Choices. Joe, I've never heard of your group before. Well, Americans for Balanced Energy Choices is a relatively new group. Uh, it was formed uh, in April of this year. 
Uh, and it's a group of community leaders all across America, folks uh, like school superintendents, uh, small business owners, mi- minority advocates, uh, people who have recognized for a long time uh, this sort of energy crunch that America is getting into uh, and recognize that not only did that have an, would that have an effect on the economy, but also on the quality of life of people. Uh, you're primarily concerned about uh, how high energy prices are affecting low-income folks here in Ohio. Uh, well, why low-income folks? Uh, high energy prices seem to be affecting just about everybody. Well, they really do. But what happens so often is uh, this, con- this energy debate comes down to be more driven sometimes by the environmental side. And while protecting the environment is a commitment, it is definitely not an option. Uh, ABEC believes that you have to look at both sides. You've got to look at the environmental uh, issues, plus you've got to look at the cost issues. And what happens is you find out when energy costs go up, it is those who can least afford to pay higher prices that are left holding the bag. For instance, a family making over $50,000 a year or more spends only 4% of their income on energy costs. Uh, but for those folks living below the poverty line of $10,000 a year or less, they spend about 30% of their income on energy costs. So when, when energy prices go up, those who get hurt the worst are America's most vulnerable. That's quite an impact on the family budget, I would imagine. It, it is undoubtedly uh, that. But I can remember a few years ago, back home in Kentucky, my great aunt, who was a widow living on Social Security, not wanting to turn on the air conditioner in the summer because she was afraid she couldn't pay the electricity bill. I mean, for the, the very sad thing that for many Americans, the lack of an energy policy is forcing some of them to choose between heating and eating. And that's just not a good situation for us to put American citizens into here in this country. High energy prices are, are adversely affecting uh, African-American families and, and senior citizens? No doubt. When you look at those folks who are in those lower uh, income quartiles that I was talking about, where as you go down the income scale, it takes more of their household budget to cover energy costs, you find that more African Americans, more minorities, more senior citizens fit into those categories. And, you know, that is really sad because those are, those are the uh, economic groups that have been left out of the economic prosperity that we've been having over the last few years. They're just now starting to feel the surge of that. And having this sort of energy crunch come along now and sort of threaten that is very uh, untimely. But for senior citizens, it's even more startling, if you would. Uh, Let's say if our electricity bill or our natural gas bill goes up $100 this month, you and I have the chance to either, you know, maybe go to a couple of less movies or to take an extra shift at the job or, or do something like that to cover that cost. Uh, but because senior citizens are on a fixed income, they do not have the opportunity to sort of take that extra shift at work or come up. I mean, you know, they literally are making the choices, the hard choices in their budget of maybe I'm going to pay less for prescription drugs this month because my energy bill is high or vice versa. Uh, We've had a lack of attention on energy policy for several years. I mean, I think it's hard for many Americans to believe that 30 years after the Arab oil embargo, we still find ourselves in this situation, and, and here we are today. Energy has not been in the news as much uh, as it is today since Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. But it's time for us now to recognize we can't blame somebody else for this problem that we're in right now. This has been brought about by our own lack of attention to an energy policy, and it's time to get the House in order. Joe Lucas of Americans for Balanced Energy Choices. He says 
High energy prices are really hurting Ohio's poor. And that's our show for today. I want to thank you for listening. Stay tuned. More great conversation with Ted Lux and Community Forum is coming up next right here on WGAR. I'm Ken Robinson. See you next week on Sunday Digest. This has been Sunday Digest with WGAR's Ken Robinson, a public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. The views and opinions expressed on the show were those of the participants and not necessarily those of WGAR, its staff, and management. Join us next week for another edition of Sunday Digest. Bring your finances into the 21st century with a My Checking account at Nationwide Bank. Powered by Axos. My checking is designed so you can bank on your terms. This account offers unlimited domestic ATM fee reimbursements, no monthly maintenance fees, and no minimum balance requirements. Nationwide Bank offers Direct Deposit Express so you can receive your paycheck up to two days earlier. Plus, there's a free app so you can bank on your phone no matter where you are. Open a new My Checking account at krobcollection.com and receive $20. If you are a new Nationwide or Axos Bank customer and deposit $500 into your account within 90 days. Nationwide is on your side with a $20 gift for opening a free My Checking account powered by Axos. Get full details at krobcollection.com. Welcome to Ken's Corner. I'm Ken Robinson. Why is college so expensive? John McNay is with the Association of Union Professors Ohio chapter and blames sky-high fees. We often have fees that are too high on a variety of things. And I think over time, our universities have added fees to get away from the tuition uh, caps. And I think that's unfair. McNay also claims rising administrative expenses, falling state funding, and athletics are all putting upward pressure on tuition causing some students to drop out before they graduate. If we want to target the things that are actually driving up costs at our institutions, we should be looking at the decline in state, the state's share of instruction, the huge deficits in athletic spending, the construction arms race, and administrative bloat. Less than a quarter of our budgets are for faculty salary and benefits. All the rest of it is for all this other stuff. One of the ways you could boost graduations is to reduce the cost of higher education. We can do that by getting at the sports budgets. John McNay of the Association Association of Union Professors says the high cost of education is keeping students out of higher education. The primary reason that students don't finish college is because of money. It's either because they ran out of money or they have to work and can't continue to go to college, one or the other. What we would like to see is more need-based financial aid. What needs to happen is we need to provide more financial aid to needy students. He says the cost of room and board pile on a lot of student debt. The real problems, the real costs, the the bill, the reasons they graduate with so much debt is because of tuition and room and board. And it's those things that force them to stop, not books. But McNay admits books are expensive too. I'm probably not supposed to tell the students this, but uh, it's often cheaper to buy them on Amazon than it is to uh, go to our bookstore. And uh, you can get used books on Amazon uh, relatively inexpensively. Thanks for stopping by Ken's Corner, part of the K-Rob Collection. Learn more about our shows by checking out krobcollection.com or the K-Rob Collection Facebook page.